Hello, this is Andrew Brewer. I'm the host of the Northwest Area Health Education Center's podcast known as Healthcare Insights in Northwest North Carolina. Today, my guest is Dr. Steve Krichewski, who is the Toby Oligood MD Endowed Professor in Geroscience in the Department of Internal Medicine, Gerontology and Geriatric Medicine, and at the Stick Center for Healthy Aging and Alzheimer's Prevention at the Wake Forest School of Medicine. So welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, um, let us know a little bit about who you are and how you got involved in this field of study. Sure. Uh, So um, I uh, got my uh, doctorate degree in epidemiology, and I studied chronic disease epidemiology. Chronic diseases are things like heart disease, cancer. And it struck me then that the strongest risk factor for both almost all cancer and almost all heart disease is age. So I started getting interested in aging and to see if maybe if we understood aging better, we could have an effect on both heart disease and cancer. So um, uh, I've been at Wake for 20 years, but before that I was at University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, where I had the privilege of helping to start a study of uh, older adults, uh, a a study called the Health Aging and Body Composition Study, And between our site in Memphis and a site in Pittsburgh, we recruited 3,000 older adults who were age 70 to 79 who were doing pretty well. To get in the study, you had to be well-functioning. And we followed them for over 20 years to see what things they did, what diseases they might have had, (laughs) what attributes helped decide or, or show who was going to age better than some other person in the study. Since I've come to um, Winston-Salem and here at Wake Forest, we've continued some of that work. We have a a, a new study in the field right now called the SOMA study, where we're looking at muscle characteristics and how they change over time. Um, But the real reason, uh, or one of the great benefits of coming to uh, Winston and, and to Wake Forest was I also got to participate in and design and, and, and conduct clinical trials to see if some of the clues we've had from watching people could be proven by actually asking some people to do the thing and other people not to do the thing or giving some people a, pi- a pill that addresses one of the pathways we think is important and other people don't. So, so it's been wonderful, a wonderful uh, when you add it all up, it's 34 years in aging research, and, and I've loved every minute of it. That's great. Thank you for that. So just to zoom out, yeah. way out, what is aging? Well, you know, it's sort of a philosophical question in many ways, but if you're going to study it, you need to have something in your head about what it actually is. And so this is the way I think of aging. <laughs> aging um, uh, is when... The forces of degeneration are run faster or quicker than the forces of regeneration and repair. So when you're very young and you're growing, the forces of regeneration and generation and repair are very, very active. 
whence we, in, in some, some cases, uh, the forces of generation stop in our 20s, and sometimes it's in our 30s or 40s. And then after that, it's mostly the forces of degeneration are outstripping. And so what are those forces? Uh, where do they come from? Some of it is just the cost of breathing oxygen. If you breathe air, we use we, we burn food, literally burn food in order for the energy to live. And part of that process generates uh, damage and, and damaging molecules. And our cells have very sophisticated systems to manage those, uh, those byproducts, but they're not perfect. Some of it comes from our diet. Some comes from our health behavior. Some comes from the environment. So, um, uh, and all of that compile to uh, lead to um, what we see as aging, things like graying hair and the diseases of aging, being weaker, being slower, and so forth. So breathing is like iron rusting kind of oxidation. There's a little bit of that to it, yeah. Uh, every, every cell in your body may, generates energy. And that is not a completely efficient process, and damage can be generated in that. Some people it's worse, some people it's better, but it happens. Um, every other, many other reactions in your body, a lot of the chemistry, when you see it in a textbook, it looks all very perfect, like everything A to B to C to D. But in the messiness of actual cells, Every once in a while, something goes wrong on some of those reactions, and some of the byproducts that of the things that go wrong can be toxic. So, so it, it's uh, uh, it, you know, it's it's the cost of doing business. So, so how close are we to immortality? <laughs> well, I think um, that is a, 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 a. I don't know. I'll say first, I don't think. In the way I think you mean, I don't think we're very close. Mm -hmm. So, um, in some ways, uh, Plato from 400 uh, BC still is immortal. He still lives on in our memories. So, so there, there, that's one way of thinking of immortality: the impact you have on future generations. And so, uh, some people uh, are still immortal in that way. In the way I think you mean, which is when will we reach a point where we stay physically the same age we want to say stay for forever? I said, uh, I think absent going in a freezer, I'm not sure that that it's any it's ever it's going to be ever anytime soon uh, or ever. So I will say there's a huge industry of people trying to convince you the that that that's not true, and if you only buy their product. If you only buy their product, then you will have uh, a chance to, to grab at immortality. The problem is that's all garbage. And, and uh, I, I, I've been collecting some of the sales pitches that they make, and they're just nonsense. Things like activated charcoal or silicon pills, just absolutely nonsense. The only thing that's in common between them is that they all ask for about thirty nine ninety five a month. <laughs> that's the magic number. That's the magic. That's the the clearing price for immortality is forty dollars a month. That subscription, <laughs> subscription to youth. So, so the you know, the goal 
or or the the uh, kind of optimal viewpoint to, that I've kind of noticed yeah. is uh, staying young as possible, staying young as long as possible. Right. Yeah. We uh, a colleague of mine puts it cleverly. He says we 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 want you to die very young at an old age. And so our research program is not focused at trying to make people live forever. Our research program is to maintain as much physical and cognitive function so people can do all the things they want to do as long as possible. So the higher quality of life for yeah. as long as possible. Right. Yeah, so what are the, what are the things that we know uh, now that um, provide at least good indicators of if we have enough of X and Y and Z, yeah. what what are those things that that yeah. add to the quality of life and and maybe prevent the the speed of aging? Right. Well, the strongest determinant of lifespan and health span is income. <laughs> it's zip code. It's where you, uh, so so the if you have the genetic benefit of being born to rich parents, you're already a step ahead of the game. But let's let's take all other things being equal. Um, the things that we see are very tightly related to maintaining a good quality of life for long into late life are things like exercise. And you'll hear that over and over again. Um, there's not a lot of evidence that it will make you live longer, but you will. there's a lot of evidence that you will live better, mm-hmm. uh, maintain function for, for much longer. We're very inter- uh, interested in the study a lot um, weight gain and weight dynamics with age. And uh, we find, for example, that uh, people who who gain a lot of weight through middle age tend to have a a very, uh, much more likely be disabled and physically and cognitively impaired in old age. And so you don't have to stay skinny. I mean, there's this idea that you have to be as thin as possible. We don't actually see that. What we see is that people are and at an okay weight, they're healthy, and they don't keep getting fatter. <laughs> they mm-hmm. don't keep adding weight. Uh, and so, uh, if you know what, and we have a number of studies that we've done over the years at the at the Stick Center, where we've looked at the at least the short and medium term effects of um, weight loss in older people, and they're almost all positive. Uh, their um, fatigue can go down. A lot of the risk factors for disease are reduced. Um, markers of how much inflammation is in their body are, are mitigated or, or reduced. And uh, we're hoping to launch in a couple of years a five-year trial of, of weight loss to see if that translates into preserved health and, and reduced disease. Another area which is very important is preserving your brain. <laughs> so um, a lot, uh, it, it, you, it's really how hard to outlive your brain. So, and how do you preserve your brain? Well, the, the, there is a genetic risk factor, which you really can't do anything about, called APOE. So um, currently we have nothing for it. But the two major lifestyle factors that really affect uh, brain health are diabetes and hypertension. And so we think that if people do a good job in controlling 
you know, many people are hypertensive. Uh, if people who do a better job controlling that, it's been shown, are less likely to develop um, cognitive impairment and dementia. So there's a lot I want to double click on there. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I, I don't. Oh no, I'm no, going on and on. So, well, so. No, I mean, there's, you know, I've, I've read caloric restriction right. is uh, correlates to longevity somehow. And so, well, let's talk about caloric restriction. Okay. So there is a vast literature at looking at giving different kinds of animals and and bugs less calories than they would eat on their own if it were up to them. And this includes yeast, it includes fruit flies, it includes little worms called nematodes, mice, rats, all, all these things. In many, many cases, doing that does expand, extend the lifespan of many of those, but not all of those. So, for example, in the mouse world, uh, Experimenters use all kinds of specially bred mice, and some of them live longer when they're calorically restricted, and some of them don't. Um, but in that, it looks like that um, it is of some benefit to eat a little less uh, than you might like. We don't think it's that much less, and that's why uh, we also looking in a lot of our studies at the long-term benefits of mild, not not eat, uh, so. Some of these studies are very extreme, 40% cut in calories, 30% cut in calories. You won't live forever, but it will feel like it if you don't eat those. There are actually some, there are groups in the United States that do that voluntarily. They, they are clubs of people who, who want to do that. But um, we, uh, it's not clear in, 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 in the other problem with the animal literature those animals are in like germ-free environments and they're not running from predators. They don't have to do anything. They're just living in their little cages and it's really difficult to know that this has anything to do with how long they would live if they were out in the wild doing their thing, right? So, so uh, but there's promise there and, and we do see signals when we ask people to eat less than they'd like to for our weight loss studies that suggest there's some correspondence. And again, if we get to do this longer term study, we'll understand that much better. Yeah. So just on the animal models, so the, yeah. the mice, and I've read somewhere that they're especially bred mouse, they're, they're stress-free basically because they're not being predated. And they also uh, turns out they have longer telomeres than their wild counterparts, which may uh, make them more resistant to drug drug trials and things like that. So it might skew uh, the results of some of those things. That's that's a fair amount of controversy behind that, I think. And and it just to me, it's like how how well can we rely on those models to? Well, I think the the value of the models are to suggest something to look into for humans, and 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 we know in a lot of disease situations that humans get animals are awful models. They just they don't get the disease, uh, or they get what they get affects the same organ, but it doesn't look anything like the disease that affects the humans. But it, but it, what they are good for is understanding what pathways, what biochemical, biologic pathways appear to be involved in what's happening. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> and many of those are surprisingly similar from mice to humans. Uh, even from worms to humans, there's a lot of very like fundamental um, mechanics of biology that is well preserved uh, in all, across all animals. So you're thinking that this must mean something, but I think I would never recommend that anyone change what they do based on what is good for a mouse. I mean, we're living in the golden age of mystem. They, we can make them live twice as long as they we they, but we're not mice, mm. <laughs> and so it's not at all clear that any of this directly applies. It's clues. It, it sort of makes us feel good when what we see in humans matches up what we see in in other models. Um, uh, Wake is Wake Forest is unusual um, in that it has a, a non-human primate colony. So uh, rhesus macaques and other species of monkeys, much better model of human aging because we're primates too. And the other thing is many of the mice in these experiments that they're looking at are given diets that look nothing like we would ever eat and, in fact, doesn't look like anything a mouse in the wild would ever eat. Uh, and in the, monkey, in the monkey experiments, if you feed um, uh, monkeys... Uh, at least the ones here at Wake, diets that look like a Western diet, they develop all the problems. They get diabetes, they get osteoarthritis, they get osteoporosis, they get atherosclerosis, every, everything. And mice don't get any of that So mm. without banging on them pretty hard. So, so yeah. you mentioned diabetes. I'm, I'm assuming you mean type 2 and then yes. as well as hypertension. Those yes. are what, you know metabolic uh syndromes that come from lifestyle for the most part and assuming that you could maintain a optimal diet and a fairly optimal level of activity does aging affect metabolism will it just decrease on its own as you age or is that a function of eating less quality diet and being less active right well, um, one of the sort of disappointing things, I guess, if you, from a, a, a one standpoint, are some things that seem to change as people age no matter what. One of these things is the amount of muscle mass that you have goes down no matter what. Now, let, let me put this in, in, in a, a context. If you go to the gym and eat a lot of protein, you can put on muscle mass. And if you keep doing that, you'll be stronger and you'll have more muscle mass. But it will still decline. You'll be at a new new intercept, a, a new uh, a peak for you. But over time, if you keep that stuff, keep doing that, your muscles will still go down over time. No one, no one, it's not happened. It's, you know, it happens faster and slower in some people, but it always happens. Same thing with bone. You have all the bone you're going to have pretty much by the time you're 25, uh, and earlier or later, depending if you're a man and a woman. And so you're spending from that account the rest of your life, and everyone's going to be at risk of fracture as they get older because their bones will continually get thinner. Again, goes faster in some people and slower in others. Now, back connect to your your specific question. 
most of the energy that we burn is burned by our muscles. <laughs> and, and so as your muscle pool shrinks, your energy needs shrink. And some people don't accommodate, so they start putting on fat instead of the muscle because they're eating the same thing they always did, but they don't need as much because either they don't have as much muscle that needs the fuel to keep it going. And a lot of times, as you say, people slow down as they age and stop doing as many things, and that also um, compounds the problem. So, yeah. So you can't outrun aging genetics, basically. <laughs> no one has Well, yet. not completely. I mean, and that's, again, that's why we're not looking. I mean, people are very ambitious. There are people out there uh, who want to reprogram our genes and uh, for this idea of extreme life extension. But that's not going to help anybody alive now, I don't think. I think hmm. we can do things now to help assure that we have uh, as many good years as we can have, right? That, that's what we want. There is a non-medical issue in healthy aging that I think is very important. You know, we've talked about a lot of medical things, and we're at a medical school, so we like to talk about biology and medicine and diseases. But there's a, uh, a social component of aging, and people who live longer tend to have many more and deeper social connections. They uh, interact with people They and, and have developed or maintained a sense of meaning and purpose in their life. They're here for a reason. Uh, my, my father uh, used to say, you need a reason to put your pants on in the morning. <laughs> so some reason to be in the world. And as people get old and more maybe more isolated, uh, and that can either be because their children have moved away or their social set, maybe they've outlived some of the, their social set, or um, in some cases it's their hearing and sight are failing and they can't enter, it, it it's becomes much more difficult. Uh, that, that, that is uh, also a very important thing to pay attention to. And if you have older people in your life, uh, you know, um, if you can help them stay connected to the world, you're doing something good for them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of philosophical and ethical and moral issues around all that, too. Yeah. And, and I think, again, I think the, the, what, the way I see it is the goal for healthy aging is to increase quality of life as long as you're yeah. here and not necessarily the number of years that, that right. you're living. So having said that, um, what are the things that we know? I mean, you mentioned strength training or, or, or resistance training uh what are some other things like in our diets um minerals vitamins any of that stuff that we know um will give us um the optimal nutrition right. and the optimal chance of of optimizing right. our quality of life right um so i don't believe there's a single perfect diet i think there are a lot of a lot of things uh, that are all all quite good. I think it would be impossible to know what the perfect thing is. And people always try to make the perfect the enemy of the good. Say, so I can't do the perfect thing, so I'll just do anything. Right? So, so uh, uh, and everyone is wired a little bit differently. We all have different inheritance. We grew up in different environments. 
And so what might be the perfect diet for you might not be the perfect diet for me. So with that said. So um, as people age, there tend to be a, a set of nutritional risks that develop that are important to pay attention to. Uh, one is B12. And B12 is really important in maintaining a lot of things in your body, but neurolog your neurologic health, very, very important. And um, it only comes from meat and animal products. Uh, if we eat a, uh, you know, a, a, a piece of beef, um, the acid in our stomachs release the B12 that can then be absorbed. Now, as some people age, they don't generate as much stomach acid, and so B12 is not released. And so they don't generate, they can't extract it from their food. Now, that's easily remedied with supplements. So B12 in, the, in pill form doesn't have that problem, and, and it can be uh, uh, addressed that way. Um, I have uh, the odd... Um, experience of have, having developed ha, having developed a uh, uh, a resistance to B12 absorption myself and I have to take shots for it and if you had a B12 deficiency you'd know it because you'd be quite miserable another um, issue that we worry about with age is um, vitamin D most of the vitamin D in your body is actually generated by a chemical reaction of sunlight on your skin and that becomes less efficient as you get older. And it's not in very many foods. It's supplemented. It doesn't naturally occur in foods except if vitamin D is added to them. So mm -hmm. milk, for example. But virtually nothing else in the diet has it in it. And so uh, that's important for bone health and, uh, uh, and a number of things. Uh, so we, we, uh, most people seem to get enough so there's not a huge problem in the united states with deficiency in either of those two um, because people lose muscle as they get older um, and because as people get older and don't need as much food they will tend to cut down everything they eat they will also cut down the amount of protein that they're ingesting now the weird thing about protein is in order to build muscle, you it's not you, you need a bunch of protein all at once to tell your muscles, hey, there's a lot of protein around here. Let's get making, right? Let, let's build muscle. So if you just eat a little protein all through the day, that won't happen. <laughs> so you need boluses of it. And so if you're not eating very much, you have to be careful. You're getting enough protein all at once in meals to support uh, um, muscle health. And the other thing that happens in some old, in some old people is that um, the stimulus to get your muscle to start making new muscle with the protein in the diet is based on the action of insulin because insulin will go up when you eat food, and it increases the blood flow to your muscles. So all that nice protein in the blood gets to the muscle. In, in older people, that's not as efficient. So it can be very helpful, actually, to take a walk before and after a meal to get that blood going, or we think it is, or people 
testing to see if that's actually true. Uh, so that that's all good. I think um, when we look, uh, there's a lot of research uh, on diet patterns as they relate to good health. And you might have heard of the Mediterranean diet pattern or the healthy eating index or just there, there are quite a few of them. Uh, the data is quite consistent that people who eat um, something like a Mediterranean diet or, or uh, a follow the dietary guidelines, no matter how it's put together, um, tend to have less diseases as they get older, less diabetes, less likely to become frail, less likely to develop disability. So um, I think you should eat what you like, but the the commonalities about across these are more fruits and vegetables than people are used to eating. Um, and, and certainly with respect to the United States, less red meat than people are used to eating, but not low protein exactly. So there's more cheese in it and f chicken and fish in, in, in a lot of these diets. Nuts seem to be uh, ha play a role in this. Uh, uh, the oils that people use in it, like the Mediterranean diet, um, is very olive oil based as opposed to harder fats like butter or polyunsaturated fats like um, you know corn oil or canola oil. Uh, it's been really hard to isolate any one thing out of any of that. And it might be easier just to sort of adopt a pattern rather than say, I'm going to eat eat 10 nuts in the morning and a, uh, and a cup of olive oil at night. I don't think that's going to work. So, so um, but um, that, you know, there, there's very, very consistent evidence uh, that diet patterns that um, mimic those in some parts of the world that where people live pretty long and pretty well uh, might have some benefit. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I guess quality of food uh, kind of goes down when you process it. And I yeah. know here in, in in the U.S. there's a lot of uh, processed options and fast foods. Yeah. What kinds of things are counter to healthy aging um, in our food supply? In the food supply, um, you, you know, just a lot of fat, sugar, and salt. Mm -hmm. And people love it. And that's why the People who make our processed food emphasize fat, sugar, and salt because, uh, you know, and and I'm not an absolutist. I don't think you should not eat any of that stuff. It's It, it should have its place uh, and be a relatively sparse kind of thing. You know, I, I think people uh, uh, I know um, are getting a lot of carryout now, and this sort of happened – like DoorDash and stuff with the pandemic, and they they like it. They haven't gone back, so not only very expensive, but got to be careful of your choices because they tend to emphasize more uh, processed kinds of things. Yeah, I don't think there's any food that's a poison that if you eat it, you're gonna die or cut years off your life. It's it's all a balance and mm -hmm. getting the right proportion and making sure that um, your body is cared for and not overstuffed with calories with no other benefit. So, Now, I, I heard somewhere that 
other factors, mainly stress, can affect the insulin response. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much of that have you looked at, and how, you know, how you mentioned walk before and after a meal, and that's what I understood was like that will help optimize the insulin response, but also those people who are measuring insulin response when they're having a horrible day, for instance, or something happens that right. is just cortisol levels are up, right. that it just really wrecks the, the yeah. whole insulin response. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll first admit this is not something we've studied directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but there's no doubt, no matter what's going on, there is something with the experience of stress uh, and the experience of uh, feeling trapped and hopeless. And so there, there can be acute stress, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, a fire alarm goes off, and then there's a, a chronicity of, like, this this is awful, you know. Yeah, I'm yeah. in danger all the time. I mean, you know. And, and there's pretty good emerging evidence that that causes accelerated aging, and uh, so how would we even know that? So there are a number of things we can measure in the cells that change in a kind of a characteristic way with age. So if you're 30 and these characteristics look like they're 40 in your cells, we're pretty sure that that stress or something to do with – so stress often uh, goes with – uh, um, food insecurity. It often goes with poor economic resources, uh, maybe poor educational attainment. Uh, doesn't have to, but often does. And these these compound each other. And uh, it, you know, uh, and every any any physician who does primary care will tell you that they see fifty year olds who look like eighty year olds. Or mm-hmm. seventy-year-olds, they've had a very hard life, and it had aged them in an observable way, in a very accelerated way. Yeah. So, so the economic insecurity, food insecurity, and then combined yeah. with readily available, cheap, processed calories. Yeah, it's not. You know, obesity is uh, very common um, in highly stressed people. Um, common in everybody but <laughs> anymore uh and if you sort of I, I haven't done the calculation but my guess is if you calculated the dollar per calorie or cents per calorie mcdonald's would do very well mm-hmm. that, that you don't have to spend a lot uh you know the the amount of money uh per calorie and that, that's people's initial drive to eat is just to have enough energy to survive so if you don't have a lot of money, you're going to look for sources of calories that are relatively inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the oils, like differences yeah. in, in types of oils and fats. Um, are, I would venture to say, and you can react to this, that all sugars aren't created equal. So high fructose corn sweetener, for example, may have a different metabolic response than an insulin response than you know turbinado sugar for instance or is it just an amount that well matter? i you know i i i'm going to um claim ignorance i really haven't looked at that very much i know the the last time i sort of 
looked at this area, the great interest was in how quickly the sugars that you ingested raised your glucose level. And uh, is that what you call the high uh, glycemic, glycemic index? Yeah, that's yes. right. So there's some foods that have a lot of sugar, uh, a lot of carbohydrate in them, but they're in a very complex form, and uh, they cause your body response to be pretty gradual. You don't have a huge spike in in your uh, blood sugar, uh, which means you don't have a, a big spike in your insulin, which means you don't have a big crash right after and feel very tired and fatigued, which is, which is what happens to me when I eat a donut. Mm-hmm. Um, I get this burst of that, and then I feel very fatigued afterwards after, then I don't have, you know, because uh, there's a, I don't know what what my problem is, but mm-hmm. I, I've talked to other people, and that's pretty common, <laughs> such a common experience. So, but um, uh, and so uh, and and things like oats, a lot of carbohydrate, but as long as they're not overly processed, it takes a long time for that sugar to get in the bloodstream. And people uh, who study these sorts of things uh, believe that that is better for you in the long run than eating spoonfuls of sugar. Um, I'm, uh, there are other people at Wake who are interested in the fructose, sucrose kinds of things, I think. Um, uh, and I just don't know enough about that area to say anything that I would uh, be willing to testify to in court. Yeah, so. fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That's the standard, I guess. And, and then on the on the flip side of that, yeah. <laughs> the imitation sweeteners are any of those um, shown to be? I mean, I know saccharin yeah. had some warning labels for a while, and I don't yeah. even know where we are with that. You know, in the aging literature, there's really no signal, or at least people haven't published anything, one way or the other, that I've I. I can remember seeing about them being uh, good or bad. So, yeah. um, let's talk about the uh, study that you yeah. got coming up. Um, I, yeah. I think it's the study on how and when the amount of calories consumed affects how a person ages. Yeah, thanks. And so, you know, what's the purpose of this study? Yeah, we're calling it HALO, which stands for uh, Healthy uh, Aging and Later Life Outcomes Study. And uh, we have received um, uh, some funding from one of the National Institutes of Health, the National Institute on Aging, to plan a five- to six-year study comparing caloric restriction or, or weight loss. But it's not – there's a subtle difference, but for most people listening, it's a, a mild weight loss study versus something called time-restricted eating – where people can eat anything they want, but they only eat it with an eight-hour window in a day versus um, uh, neither of those two, really, just sort of people keeping on with their lives. And so we are, ne- we are currently recruiting people to help us design the long-term study by going through the interventions that we're planning in a nine-month period instead of a five-year period. And so one uh, – you know, two, two groups we're recruiting for were people uh, – we, we, we uh, use a very sophisticated method to figure out how many – what 
people's cal calorie needs actually are. And then they work with uh, coaches to cut their intake so that uh, that is 80% of what they would normally eat. And uh, we try to maintain that for nine months. And then we have a, another group who we're bringing in um, and asking them to eat everything they're going to eat. And again, work with coaches to formulate a way to eat everything they're going to eat and, and plan around doing that in the eight-hour window every day. And this is, again, uh, derived from the, the animal literature where animal experiments have done a lot of calorie restriction studies uh, where they cut calories to animals, but they've realized that if you just limit when it, how much during the, how much time during the day or, or night, in this case, uh, mice or other animals are allowed access to eat as much food as they want, that seems to have the similar health benefits. And isn't that great? You can eat whatever you want, <laughs> as much as you want. You just can't eat it when you want. So um, that's not really been well evaluated. In, in There are a number of studies going on. Very few in older people, mostly in uh, uh, you know people in their 30, 30 to 50, 55 range. So we're recruiting uh, 60 and up, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, people get a very, a very thorough uh, ex um, um, examination, I guess. Uh, you get some blood work done and, and uh, uh, check their vitals and... Uh, bone density and all, all kinds of things and you learn our participants are learning a lot about themselves and then they would get randomized into one of the three groups i just described there are two of them that are doing caloric restriction and the difference is just the style of coaching and we're trying to see if that works uh people are given some a, a scale to take home that is bluetooth enabled so we help monitor weight and track that uh they have an app that we give them uh we everyone gets an ipad and to track certain aspects and interact with the study that way uh, and um uh, it's going really well we've uh recruited our first uh 24 and we're looking for about 90 more and we should have our next 30 starting in March. So we'd love people to give us a call if they're interested at all. The major entry criteria is 16 over and being, um, I'll just say not thin. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, and it's really hard to convey through words, but we're looking for people with BMIs over 27. So above normal. Above normal weight, yeah. And, um, and it's most people this age. I mean, this these this uh, uh, criteria is about sixty percent of people over sixty are, would qualify for the study. Mm -hmm. And we don't want people with type one diabetes, and uh, because it's not safe for them to yeah. not eat <laughs> the way we we hope they do. And there are some there are a number of other things, but those are the big ones. And you just call if people want to just call in. Uh, someone very knowledgeable will take them through and see if they're eligible for the study or not. And so depending on what group they're in, they might get uh, 
the nutrition provided to them? Or? No, we're not giving them food. Okay. Um, this is working with a coach to mm-hmm. figure out how to change uh, their habits and what they're buying and and coach them through. We, you know, people will have to track what they eat to some extent. So mm-hmm. it's very very hard to um, um, be successful in losing weight unless you're willing to monitor what you're eating for a while. So, and I've done done this myself, and I tried it without monitoring. It was impossible. I didn't get anywhere. And then I monitored for a while, and it was very successful. And then after you've done it for a while, you sort of get it. Um, you know, and you learn things that you didn't realize, like a little little nut's got a lot of calories in it. <laughs> yeah. I love olives. Very a lot of calories mm-hmm. in olives. Uh, the other things are surprising in a different way. A, sl- a slice of bacon doesn't have as many calories as I thought it would. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so and people would learn that for themselves and and develop the skills to and the knowledge base to be successful. Now, how do you measure adherence or compliance? Do you monitor, for instance, the people who are fasting for sixteen hours? Are you monitoring A one C or triglycerides or anything like that during? Yeah. Um, that's a tricky one. Uh, I mean, we're asking people to put in the app in the th- when they start eating during the day and when they don't. Um, there is another um, uh, a device that's developed for people to help people with type 2 diabetes can monitor their blood sugar continuously. And these are it's called continuous glucose monitoring. And we're trying to see if that will work as a way to assess how adherent folks mm-hmm. are. Um, for the weight loss itself group, um, we'll have their starting and ending weights and their resting metabolic rate. And we'll, we use equations to figure out exactly how adherent they So it'd be they pretty were. obvious if they're not. Yeah, falling. if they're not losing any weight, we're pretty sure they're not cutting any calories. Yeah, that's right. And for anybody who's interested in participating, is there compensation for them? Uh, no, there no. isn't. Um, Just uh, free coaching. Yeah, they're getting a lot, a lot, a lot of testing and a lot of coaching and, and, uh, uh you know, a lot of interesting experiences. It's not uh, um, so we we typically when we're doing weight loss or exercise studies, we don't compensate people because they're getting the benefit of the coaching and and the supervision. Um, I have a, a phone number that people can call. Yeah, and I'll, okay. I'll actually put the information in the in the uh, description of the episode too. Okay. But go ahead and, and yeah. So if people want to hear more about it, they should call three three six seven one three eight five three nine, and it's option three. Option three, and then how geographically. Uh, wide are you looking for well um people need to be willing to come to um to to the medical center uh at at least once a month uh and so if they're in a a a farther out than that um where they're not willing to to come as often as we need to see them then it's probably not the study for them. Yeah. Now, one of the arms that we're evaluating is a all, all done through uh, Zoom. Uh, and if that works, then the next study will be over a much wider <laughs> geographic area because we won't need f- 
for people to come here but once a year and and then that people can be much further afield than this but since people we don't know what group someone's going to be in until we flip the coin for them uh everyone's got to be willing to come in everyone uh, uh, relatively frequently so. okay and for the listeners that's winston-salem winston-salem that yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah well um we'll start to wrap up but what if if you had to list the top five do's and the top five don'ts for optimizing or at least uh hoping to increase and maintain quality of life um mm-hmm. with whatever you're putting into your body and you know so we'll talk about nutrition and fitness and maybe cognitively what what would be the 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 most definitely do's and the most definitely don'ts that you would recommend well uh so the do and the two the first do and the first don't are really the mirrors of each other so the first do is exercise and and moving around so we didn't talk about that i do want to talk that's really important um, you can go to the gym three nights a week and do your 90 minutes of exercise or an hour of exercise and meet the guidelines for physical activity. But if every other minute of your day is stuck sitting in front of the television in a chair, that's not the, that won't be an antidote. <laughs> the exercise will not fix all the problems that come from being sedentary all the time. And there's a growing appreciation that people who, uh, no matter what else they do, if they're sitting at long stretches during the day, that's bad for their health, it's bad for their mental health, and it's bad for their metabolism. And so uh, people should be cognizant of how much they're staying in one place and try to get up and move around often throughout the day. And, and in our study, we actually have people wearing Fitbits, and they are expected we coach them to get up and move around. So that's part of all the groups get get mm-hmm. that um, um, get that as well. Uh, and then more vigorous exercise is also very important. And uh, it and it appears that a mix of uh, pushing weights or, or resistance training, as we call it, and aerobic, which is getting your heart rate up, they're both important. And they're both good, and they both address somewhat different aspects of your health. So, so if you can do something that requires a lot of muscle effort, that's good. And if you also can do stuff that keeps your heart rate up, that's also good. But I would say um, do something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> Again, a lot of people say, well, if I can't do that, I just won't do anything. We found every, you know, study after study, every little bit helps. And obviously, at some point, you're exercising so much, you're not eating or doing anything else, and that's sort of pathologic. <laughs> but otherwise, that. So that that's one. Um, maintain the weight you're at first. I'm not um, so. Uh, many people are unhappy with w- what they weigh, uh, and they go through bouts of either trying to lose weight or or not. But the first thing is to first, you know, when you, you've dug a hole, the first job is stop digging. Stop digging. And it's often easier for people to maintain than it is to, to lose if, if they're obese. So, mm-hmm. um, and so that, that, uh, that's very important. Sort of take your foot off the gas pedal <laughs> for, for a little while. 
Um, I think um, um, trying to maintain your social uh, developer, maintain social connection, very important. Volunteer at things. Uh, people volunteer do very well. I mean, if you're talking to older folks who may have retired, uh, staying engaged in something ha has been very, very um, is very important for their health. Um, avoiding getting heart disease or diabetes is good. So uh, you should not ignore your blood pressure and you should not ignore your cholesterol because you can't live to an old age if you're dead of heart disease. Yeah. So, for, so for sure. Um, I think, you know, those are, are the, are the major ones. I think emerging areas, it's pretty clear uh, that it, there's something important there are good sleep hygiene People who sleep seven hours ish, plus or minus a day, five to five to eight, um, seem to be better. Have many things else better in their lives than mm -hmm. people who don't. It's a little hard to do those intervention trials to see see exactly what's going on, but people are doing some of those. Um, and uh, I think again, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence and some evidence from higher quality studies that some kind of de-stressing every day doesn't have to be, you know, long and it could be part of a religious tradition or it could be just sort of finding a time and cut off all the stimuli uh, uh, is probably helpful. I wouldn't, again, this is one I wouldn't bet my house on, but, but everything that I've seen all points in that direction. Yeah, I think uh, I, I equate the uh, the uh, constant twenty four seven news cycle and, yeah. and and those kinds of things as as high fructose corn sweetener for the brain. Yeah, I think you you could be very well, very well, very well true. And is it true that that kind of stressor like? Uh, uh, stimulates the amygdala, which is the fight, flight, or freeze response, and can increase cortisol and and that kind of thing. Well, I'm sure to some extent it does. Again, that's not exactly the the set of things that I I look at, um, but um, uh, there's no no doubt that stresses like that can make you feel agitated and get your heart going and not in a good way for sure which again has some response uh, metabolic response yeah, on sure. how your body handles yep. insulin and sugar and all yep. that kind of yep. stuff well um also well let me ask you this one last question related sure. to nutrition if there if, if someone knew um you know they're they're not eating the most optimal diet right and they know they're not going to change is there any Magic supplement that it should change, just like a multi daily that that kind of is nutritional insurance, or is that? Yeah, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, if you're an older person, uh, I could see a role for a multivitamin for that B12 and and uh, and possibly vitamin D uh, concern, but. Um, um, and I used to study the health effects, or early on in my career, did did a number of data analyses looking at multivitamin supplementation and health outcomes. Could never find anything. Never found a signal that it was mm -hmm. benefit um, for folks. Um, I think the 
problem with the diet has to do with energy metabolism. It has to do, as you say, with glucose. It has to do with not getting, you know, uh, a, a, a well-balanced diet has literally thousands of plant-based compounds in it, thousands of them. And a vitamin pill, has, if it's a, got everything in it, it's got 30. Mm-hmm. And they're not those you know there's all these uh polyphenols and all all these other things and you not only have to make your body happy you have to make your microbiome happy you you have all these bacteria in your gut that are also processing and digesting all this matter and the pill is not going to have anything for for that so uh i i i think the you know, it's easy to make a lot of money selling pills to people like this, as we I, I said earlier in our conversation. But I see very little evidence of any great value except in specific deficiency concerned situations. So we went back to 400 BC with Plato, and you yeah. could go back far <laughs> that far for Hippocrates, who said, "Let thy food be thy medicine." There you and go. Thy medicine <laughs> be thy food. So here we are, right back to to where we are. Why? Well, Appreciate you coming on. Uh, one last question: yeah. uh, What does Dr. Steve Krzyzewski do in his off time? What do you do for fun? Well, I do go to the to the the Y um, uh, three times a week. Um, like to to read a uh, a bit. Um, like to hang out with folks. Uh, uh, I do enjoy just sort of sitting around chatting to people. It's it, it's fun for me. I'm always interested in what people have to say and what they're thinking about things. So, um, but I don't have any. Um, I'll tell you, my job is is partially my hobby. So, and I've been doing it for 34 years because I really like to do it. And so I don't see it, you know, if, if what you are called or want to do is what you get paid to do, that's a great thing. So that's great. So you find your flow in your work. Yeah, I do. I do. And social connections as well. Well, great. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure I'll have a million other questions that I didn't ask after we sign off, but, uh, any, any question for me or, or anything else you want to add before we sign off? Well, I don't um, – I'm sort of uh, n- not about the podcast. I think it's great that you're doing it, and I'm just sort of curious about what you've learned over all the ones that you've done so far. Wow. I've learned so much. I mean, I, I enjoy connecting with people. This is like yeah. my flow is, yeah. is sitting across face-to-face. Now, what I've learned – uh, in the age of, of Web, WebEx and Zoom is that it's not as quite the engagement um, yeah. remotely that I get sitting. And I really yeah. appreciate you coming on today here yeah. in, in, on site because I really enjoy this more than anything. I think there's a – what I've learned most is that there's an energy connection yeah. that you have when you're face-to-face with yeah. someone versus uh, yeah, behind a screen, yeah. behind a keyboard and that kind of thing. But just talking with – uh, people in all different areas of research, and um, I've learned that a lot of the people that are in the research and, and healthcare are really passionate about what they do yeah. and, and really love their jobs, and and which is a testament to uh, what we do at AHEC is you know recruit, train, and retain healthcare professionals, and I think it's just a you know for those who 
dedicate their lives to the service of humanity. It just takes, you know, the kind of person who loves to help and loves to learn and loves to share that information. So I, I just, I learn every day and I just love doing this and, and it's, it's just, it, it serves me in such yeah. great ways. So great. that's a great question. I appreciate that. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thanks again. And that is the end of this episode. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And, Share this podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks.